This is Writing Excuses, episode 12, theme. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. And we actually got that right. Wow. All right. Well, um, in a previous podcast, we had mentioned theme, and Howard said, uh, let's talk about that later. <laughs> Can of worms. <laughs> this is the later. Let's talk about theme. Dan, can you define theme for us? You have an um, English degree. Yes, I do. And now you're making me use it, which no one else has done ever since I graduated. That's the, um, I think that's in the charter. Of yeah. Theme, it, at, at its most basic, is uh, what something is about. Yeah. Um, the, the way that a plot is kind of the skeleton that you hang over something, theme is like the... The soul. The soul that it's you stick inside of it. what the story means. Yes. Um, it's um, a, a great example of this. You could say that the theme of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is repentance, redemption, um, and um, and Christian symbolism, sacrifice. Yes. Sacrifice. Mm -hmm. This is there's a theme in that. Um, this yeah, the, been, so the theme yeah. of uh, uh, Prince Caspian is faith. Uh huh. Yeah. All right. The, hey, I can do this. The theme of go. the Hobbit is the little guy can do it. Um, that sort of thing. That could be one of the. <laughs> That's themes. also the little engine that could. Yeah, little engine. Well, it's a popular theme. Um, maybe. Oh, there's Coming a paper soon in to there a theater somewhere. near you. Wow. The little hobbit who could. I think I can. I think I can. <laughs> um, so why do we talk about theme? Well, oh, this has been. And if you take any English class above like the basic level ones, you'll spend a lot of time talking about theme. What does this story mean? What did the author intend? What did the author not intend? This is a podcast for writers. So the, I, the question is, should you as a writer be thinking about theme? And if so, how much should you be thinking about it? How much do you, um, podcasters, let theme focus what you write? Um, let's just start with, do you think about theme? Well, I'm going to put a stake in the ground, yeah. and I'm going to say, no, you don't need to think about theme. And okay. I'm saying that because that allows me to justify my own behavior. Okay, <laughs> justify your behavior. Go for us. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't think about theme. Okay. I try to write interesting stories that, that will be funny. Yes, I'm writing satire, and yeah. sometimes it's political satire, and mm -hmm. sometimes it's religious satire, and, and I suppose there are themes to be found there, yeah. but I enjoy letting the reader decipher that theme without right. me telling them okay. where they're supposed to go. Dan, theme. I yeah. think theme is stronger in your books than it is in either uh, my stories or, or Howard's. Do you think about that theme ahead of time? To some degree, yes, I do. Part of that is the genre, uh, because as we talked about in our horror podcast, horror tends to be a moral genre anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, for me, I, I always think of my books on at least three levels. You know, This book is about a kid who's a serial killer who's fighting demons. It's also about this, and down at its core, it's about something else. But I'm very careful not to let those deeper ones get too big for their britches. Okay. I, I don't want them to be so blatant that people will go, oh, come on, stop writing this fable and just tell me a story. Okay. If it's in there and you can find it, wonderful. I'm mm -hmm. delighted. I look forward to talking with readers about the themes they've found in my books. But I don't want them to overpower the story. Okay. Um, I would say, answering my own question, for me... Um, I do think about theme, but I think about it as I'm writing the book, not as I prepare the book, generally. Um, theme for me comes out as themes focused on a character. What a character is caring about will become an overarching motivation for them. Then 
just as you write, connections will happen, and you will place that character in situations where the theme can manifest. So that, that is yeah. inherently right. thematic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I do, I do do it a little bit consciously. In book two of Mistborn, we've got a character who's struggling to, make, to, to become a king. And the, therefore, the theme of what does it mean to be a leader and what are the costs of being a leader and what are the costs of idealism became very important to me as a writer when I was writing that because they were so important to the character. But I didn't actually sit down and say, I want to write a book about the importance of this. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, let me, now let me ask you a, a follow-up question there. Yeah. So we're talking about, uh, are we allowed to say that we're talking about Eland? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, statute of limitations has passed. Yeah. Um, so Eland is trying to be a good king. In sitting down to write that, you've decided yeah. that that is one of your book's themes. Yeah. Did you well, then... I decided that's a character conflict. Well, no, but it, yeah. yeah, it's a character conflict, and right. so it's thematic to that yeah. character, mm -hmm. and so it's contained in your book. It is yeah. one of your book's themes. It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you then, does that change your behavior such that you sit down and start researching material on that theme to find out, well, gosh, what... What does make a good king? And go to I do sometimes. Hammurabi um, and Isaiah and... I'm, yeah, I'm an armchair philosopher, um, taking a lot of philosophy classes when I was undergraduate. It's fascinating to me. I think the best themes, this is personal, I think the best themes are ones that, um, that are explored from all sides. Um, no I, straw men. Yeah, no straw men and, and beyond that, no answers. Um, I, I'm really not trying to give answers. Sometimes I do because the characters will make decisions. Okay. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm agreeing with that decision, but it will, it will look like that to anyone who reads. It's impossible to not assume that yeah, that's... Yeah, the, mm -hmm. the character yeah. arrives at an answer, so yeah. at a superficial level, yeah. someone could read the book and say, right. oh, well, this is the answer, when in fact, the answer was not perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. now, now, let's put Brandon further on the spot. Perfect. You say you kind of develop that theme out of Ellen's character. Yeah. You read the third book, yeah. that theme is everywhere. There's right. Yeoman, there's Spook, right. there's Sazed, there's everyone is dealing with that. At what point did that become a book theme instead of a character theme? Um, boy, I would say when I decided to put other characters, it was, I, I dealt with it in book two. And it was that desire of my, uh, that I had to approach it from all, all sides, rather than just showing one side. And so, in this case, I had Yeoman as a character who was kind of opposed to Ellen approaching the theme from a different direction. And then we had Spook approaching it from a slightly different direction and going through different experiences. I think that it was just my desire when I wrote, often when I write a book, I will come up with these great ideas and say, wow, this is awesome. I need to explore this more. And then you'll see me reacting to my own books with other books. Um, Warbreaker is a reaction to Elantris in a lot of ways. Um, what, is it, what is it like to become a, to be a person who's given the power of a god? I didn't really get into it in Elantris because the people don't have the power of the gods. They've lost the power of the gods. <laughs> so, hence, suddenly I write Warbreaker dealing with the same theme but from a different tack. That happens to me a lot. Okay. Um, let's ask you guys a question then. Um, one of my favorite quotes on theme ever um, is by Oscar Wilde, and I'm not quoting this directly, but it's from the foreword to the picture of Dorian Gray, where he says, art must be useless to be art. If it's trying to do anything else, it stops being art, and it starts doing what it's trying to do. So in order to create something that is pure art, it, pure art is enjoyed only for its art, aesthetic, artistic value. But if you've read the picture of Dorian Gray, it's a very didactic story. He's, 
obviously dealing mm-hmm. with this powerful theme of hedonism and what it does to a person um, where Dorian Gray ends up being destroyed by his hedonistic lifestyle in the same way that Oscar Wilde was being destroyed by his own hedonistic lifestyle. It's probably the most poignant book of his career. So, Spoiler warning. Should uh, Okay, the statute of limitations, <laughs> 100 years. If it's in the public domain, then there is no... Um, so the question I have for you is, should fiction mean something? Should it? I'm going to rephrase the question. Oh, okay. Can fiction mean nothing? And I don't think it can. Hmm. I think that... Well, I you say I don't think James it can. I think, it, <laughs> I think that a reader who sits down with James Joyce or with Oscar Wilde yeah. or with Schlock Mercenary, you see what I did there? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is going to sit down and is going to put their own, uh, you know, draw their own meaning. Uh, now, with, with uh, Picture Dorian Gray, yeah. uh, whatever he said at the beginning of that book, I, I have to think the man wasn't a complete idiot and knew that he was contradicting yeah well oscar wilde is famous for contradicting himself it's one mm-hmm. of the things he loved to do and i'm sure he did it in order to force you to quest a little bit deeper into the book mm-hmm. for meaning but there is something to be said for creating art for pure aesthetic value um, looking at a picture and not saying what was the author artist trying to convey what is just looking at it and saying wow that's beautiful and I think that might be what he was trying to say, is that art should at some point just say, wow, that's beautiful, and that's So it has to point. work independent of theme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. I mm-hmm. love the fact that a good story works without me sitting down and saying, oh, wait a minute, this is author's message, author's message. Right. <laughs> um, but I also love being able to sit down with a book a second time and try to learn something, not necessarily about the author, yeah. but about human nature you know the works of when i read orson scott card the way he writes children the way he writes most of his characters uh you read those characters you learn things about people Mm -hmm. and that i I like that and i think you can learn that from all kinds of books okay now you called out my english degree earlier so we're going to dust it off and uh bring up the concept of readerly and writerly which are weird English words that you only care about while you're in a class. And basically, if a text or a story is readerly, that means that the reader is required to put some of themselves into it. Okay. And that's exactly what Howard was talking about earlier with, you know, can something be completely meaningless? No, because no matter what it says there, you're bringing all of your own experiences to it. You're bringing all of your own interests and desires and current so what you're saying is, not only did I not have a new idea, my idea is so old <laughs> that your degree can sum it up in one stinking word. No, that means you're poignant. That means that you're pithy. Pithy. Oh, no, wait. Brevity, He's pithy bre- and you're not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brevity is the soul of wit. My okay, friend. there All we right. go. This week's Writing Excuses is brought to you by David Farland of davidfarland.net. Okay, I'm David Farland, and I'm going to be teaching a writing workshop this coming uh, April. I'll be teaching two writing workshops if you're interested. Uh, just look up information on them at www.davidfarland.net. D A V I D F A R L A N D.net. Um, can theme ruin a book for you? Oh, yeah. Okay, if oh, it's yeah. too hard. If the theme, uh, if, the, if you with, with uh, Eland mm-hmm. had been doing what you were doing, and then had one of the characters come out and 
soliloquy, whatever, and talk about, well, what does it really mean to be a good leader? And give us a couple of paragraphs on that. Um, that would have ruined it. Okay. Um, good kind takes mm -hmm. a lot of flack for doing this. Some people really love it. Some people hate it. Um, Dan, what's your opinion? Um, th this is an interesting question, especially, I think, for genre fiction, because yeah. science fiction, in large part, got its start as a highly thematic, yeah. didactic mm -hmm. kind of genre. Technology We've talked can about save that us. before. Mm -hmm. and, or destroy us. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of those old stories by the old masters have really kind of clear morals at the end. Right. Uh, and Starship Troopers. What is Starship Troopers if not, I mean, a highly mm -hmm. thematic book? Yeah. Um, but we still enjoy it. Now, and, but, but those can work very well, but at the same time, I've read others, um, especially during the time when, uh, <coughs> when we worked on Leading Edge. <laughs> um, for example, there was one that was just devoutly anti-socialist. It was this uh, science fiction story um, taking place on some spaceship, and they encountered some aliens that had like a hive mind or whatever. And at the end, one of the characters stood up and gave a whole diatribe against their whole civilization because it had socialist principles to it. And that's taking it a little too far. Okay. Um, so let's take this back again to the writers. Um, when you are writing, should you be trying to be didactic? Or is there really no answer to that? Is it do what you want to do and see what happens? If I you mean, write well enough to pull off the di didacticism. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned <laughs> Dan, Dan Brown. But he was wildly successful, despite the fact that I didn't like yeah. the story because of the, the theme being punching me in the face every five minutes. Yeah, it, a good author can deliver the theme in such a way that most readers are going to read that as just another part of the story, and, and guys with English degrees yeah. may say, mm -hmm. ah, you're spoon-feeding me, I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, a good writer can do it well. I think a bad writer... Or a mediocre writer can can take a ham-handed approach and completely destroy their work. Yeah, you, you look at something like Toy Story Two, uh -huh. that you know my children enjoy completely wonderfully on one level, but adults enjoy just as much on three or four other levels right. underneath that the kids aren't even aware of. If you write it well, then yeah. any audience can look at it and get something out of it. Okay. Okay, you know, I'm actually changing my opinion just a little bit because as I think about this and we talk about this podcast, I used to say, don't even think about it. What did we just accomplish, Dan? <laughs> don't, try, don't try to put theme this in the your stories. the first time we've ever Knuckles been to Knuckles across the table. <laughs> Go ahead, Brandon. Thank you, Alan. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I often say, don't try to make your writing mean anything. But as I consider it, most, the best stories do mean something. And some of that has to be conscious. They didn't make Toy Story 2 not knowing they were putting in this theme of growing up and you know, abandoning childhood and kind of the regret um, that's involved in that. Um, and so I do think it's something you need to think about, but I think the answer is what Howard said, which is, oh no, it's what you said, Dan. Don't let it overshadow. Aha! Uh -huh. Don't let it overshadow <laughs> the story and the characters, um, but it can add another level. Mm -hmm. it, can, it can make a good story great um, or a great story timeless if you can come up with a really good theme that matches the characters. I think it can Absolutely. also help you construct your story. If yeah. you're halfway through and you realize, wow, I've got, I've got a theme running here, and I really need to let this character finish exploring it. If you don't let the character finish exploring it, yeah. uh, you may have broken the structure of the book. Okay. Well, this has been Writing Excuses. Um, join us next week where we stop being so philosophical and start talking about how to kill people. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Writing prompt? Writing prompt.
I did the last one. Um, uh, write a story with no theme whatsoever. That means nothing. Howard said it's not possible. Prove him that's, wrong. That's good. Yeah, give us, give us a short story that is meaningless. This has been Writing Excuses what again. have we wrought? <laughs> if you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 